from Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 39, our first installment of Lingua File. File, F-I-L-E. Get it? Wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How you doing? Splendid. Thank you. Yourself? I'm great. I'm great. We uh, we promised on the last episode that we were going to be regular every two weeks now, and uh, here we are, two weeks later. Yeah, and I just have to congratulate you on this extremely hilarious play on words for this segment, Linguafile, not P-H-I-L-E, but F-I-L-E, because, you know, it's it's a file of linguistic stuff. So that's that's fantastic. Thank you. I, I don't know that it's necessarily original. I came up with it originally, but I then Googled it, and other people have used it as well. So There should be a name for that experience of coming up with a turn of phrase or a coinage or something, and just to be on the safe side, Googling it and discovering that not only were you not the first to come up with it, it's actually trite. That, that is. <laughs> You're like the eight millionth person to come up yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. That stings. Nothing's original anymore, right? In the age of Google, when every single thought that pops into somebody's head is somewhere on the internet, then having an original thought is pretty difficult, or having an original turn of phrase. But then, when you type in something you've come up with and you, it doesn't generate other hits, you're like, whoa, aren't I something? I think there should be words to describe both the process and the feelings it generates. That's, that's all. You know, stick that in your lingua file. I would call what we've been doing just now for the past minute or so, I'd call that bantering. And I'm going to read an email to you that we received after this previous episode from Randy Strutz, who said that he was hoping for more, quote, entertainment and banter. He said, it was like being a sailor at sea for four months in anticipation of the next port call and finding the only women there were all in the local convent. You know, I appreciate that, Randy, and I'm... (laughs) I'm glad he deems us uh, entertainment when he's on liberty. But I think probably there's a larger number of people who wish for us to get on with it already. And enough with the banter, what is the subject for the week? Which brings me to this question, Mike. When are you you bringing Ben Zimmer out? This is our first episode in what we hope will be a regular series with Ben Zimmer that I've now called Linguafile where Ben, who is the executive producer, by the way, of Vocabulary.com and language columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Ben will bring to us a word or a phrase. And in the very beginning of the episode with him, we will try to guess based on a couple of clues what the word or phrase is. Then he will tell us some very interesting things about that word. And this is sort of a partnership between Lexicon Valley and Vocabulary.com. After our episode airs, Ben will write a column on Vocabulary.com about this word or phrase that will include some more information. He will link back to the audio conversation that we had with him, and we will, of course, link on Slate to his column. You know what I'm going to do, Mike? What's that? Before he even brings us a word so that we can together discover its rich etymology, I am going to uh, predict the word. I'll be impressed if you get it right. Should I say it now, or should I just like write it down on a piece of paper? We're not even in the same room, so... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll do. That's foolproof. <laughs> okay. I'm going to write it down. Is Henry there? Maybe he can yeah, confirm. he can witness this. Okay, ready? 
I am writing... Henry, by the way, is the name of Bob's dog, for those of you who are wondering who Henry is. Henry, I want you to take this, fold it, and put it someplace safe. (laughs) And while you're there, go get Timmy out of the well. (laughs) All right, let's uh, let's bring um, Zimmer on now. Hey, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you are going to bring to us a word or a phrase. Bob and I have no idea what it is, although Bob took a guess and gave it to his dog. But we are going to um, try to guess. You're going to give us some clues. Yeah, I'll give you some clues, and, uh, you know, they'll get closer and closer to the word. It shouldn't be too hard. But, Bob, I think you might like this word in particular because you are actually in the word. I am in the word. Discombobulated. Wow, that was fast. I didn't have to give more than one clue. And uh, Mike zeroed in right in on discombobulate. Bob is right smack dab in the middle of that word discombobulate. That key third syllable, the swing syllable right there that really makes the word what it is. To be fair, I think I was sort of primed to guess that word because uh, recently our editor of Slate, David Plotz, stepped down. And we had an all-staff, what we call all-hands meeting here at Slate in which he made the announcement, prefacing the speech by saying that he was probably going to get discombobulated. Aha. How long have people been discombobulated? How long has that state of discombobulation been happening? God, I'm not trying to figure out even what the root of that word is. Bobulate? Can you be combobulated if you can be discombobulated? And what is the state of combobulation in general? Is it about stability? Is it about calm? I'm going to guess that the word arose at some point during the early Victorian, maybe just pre-Victorian. And it may be even Dickensian. Hmm. Okay. So you guys are zeroing in on a time period, and is uh, by saying it's Dickensian, are you suggesting this is a, uh, a British word that we're borrowing into American English? That seems like a pretty good guess to me. Yeah, it does for me too. And as tempting as it is to say that it's Dickensian, I'm a huge Dickens fan, and I feel like if Dickens had actually coined that word, I would know about it. So I'm still going to go with predating Dickens. I'm really stumped about the root here, because I don't recognize any kind of Latin or Greek word there. That Bob syllable is something of an interloper, I suppose, in, in a, a word that might be trying to sound Latin, but isn't actually Latin. All right, so lay it on us. Where did this word come from, and when did it come to us? Well, it's actually a true blue American word. The Brits cannot lay claim to discombobulate. Hmm. And it dates to the 1820s, 1830s. Okay, so I was pretty close with the time period. Not bad, not bad. This time period, you could say the Jacksonian era in American history, was a really inventive time for the American lexicon. People were having a lot of fun coming up with new words words that were just sort of fanciful creations. This, of course, was also the time when we had new slang popping up, like the very famous example of OK, which came out of these linguistic fads that were going on at the time of playful misspellings and playful abbreviations. So OK actually comes out of an abbreviation for all correct that's completely misspelled as O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T. And so we see all sorts of very jocular, unusual formations. And some of them, like discombobulate, have managed to stick around today and continue to be very useful. I'm particularly curious to know whether it was invented out of whole cloth with a kind of wry sense of uh, goofiness to it or 
whether it was uh, constructed from parts? Well, it was really constructed from parts, and we can't just simply point to one person who first decided to mash this word together. But we can trace a kind of evolution of the word. The earliest example that we have is from 1825. It's a little different. It's actually discombobberate. The discom part was the same, but then after the bob, it would be E-R or O-R-A-T-E. There was a newspaper report in 1825 that originally appeared in a Georgia newspaper called the Georgia Patriot about a couple of militia that had been sent out to attack the Creek Nation. But there was a general named General Gaines who was, had been sent as a commissioner to deal with this whole situation, and he stopped those people from attacking the Creek Nation. Quoting the Georgia Patriot, this newspaper, it says, this will affect the peace and harmony of our citizens and it is feared the leading ones will find their plans rather discombobberated. Throughout the 1820s, this discombobberated thing clearly caught on, and there was something of a joke that appeared in various newspapers and journals, too, which gives you a sense of how people were using this word. Uh, it was an imagined dialogue between two people. The first one says, Good morrow, friend. How do you feel today? The other one says, Pretty well. How are you? And the first one responds, Oh, sir, the intense frigidity of the circumambient atmosphere, combining with the porosity of the earth and joined with the humidity of the climate, has discombobberated my respiration and affected my theoretics. <laughs> so that gives you a good sense of, of, of how this word was getting used to poke fun at high-flying language, people who try to put on airs, perhaps, and use highfalutin language, but end up sounding ridiculous. So what and, exactly are the component parts, then, of discombobulate? I mean, well, let's it, talk sa- about it. sounds like yeah. a Frankenstein word. It is a Frankenstein word. You've got dis and com right up front. So those are two Latin prefixes that often get combined into this kind of double prefix. We hear it in words like discomfort, discomfort, discompose. Uh, Sometimes the C-O-M appears as C-O-N. That's the prefix meaning to come together. So something like connect, and then you add the dis in front of it to suggest uh, driving apart. So disconnect from connect. Discomania. Discomania. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a totally different kind of discom, but those two prefixes work together. They're almost like preparing you, this is going to be a classical Latin word. But then you get to the bob in the middle, and that throws you because that doesn't sound Latin at all. But then it goes back into ulate, or in its original form, discombobberate. And so that's a Latin-sounding uh, verb ending. But the spanner in the works, the syllable that makes it sound funny, is the bob which uh, is not Latin at all. And there are various theories about how that bob got in there. So etymologically, the bob isn't actually contributing any meaning that we know of. It just sounds funny. Well, bob could mean a trick or a joke at the time. And so it has some resonance with those meanings. Hmm. But if you think about what discombobberate or discombobulate mean, to upset, to throw into disorder, well, there was actually a word bobbery, in British English, at least, that meant a disturbance or a quarrel. Interestingly enough, that word bobbery may actually come from India. There's a wonderful book called Hobson Jobson 
that came out in the late 19th century, an Anglo-Indian glossary, all about the words that came from Asian languages and entered English through this colonial experience. And Babri is in there and is explained as coming from a Hindi expression. The uh, locals, the Indians, might exclaim, Bapre, Bapre, which literally means, Oh, Father. And Bapre or Bapre Bap, that Hindi expression, would then become anglicized by the colonials as Babri or Babri Bab, meaning just a big noise or confusion. What is this Babri? That is an anecdote that sounds to me like it could be totally apocryphal and totally believable. Well, that's the amazing thing about those Anglo-Indian words. I mentioned that the dictionary that lays them all out, a very famous glossary called Hobson Jobson, and that name itself is this funny kind of Anglicization, a kind of a misinterpretation of what the locals were saying. That actually comes from this wail of uh, Shiite Muslims during Muharram, which is the procession that commemorates the martyrdom of Ali's two sons, Hassan and Hussein. You would wail, Ya Hassan, Ya Hussein. But when the British heard the locals saying this, they would write it down or talk about it as Hossin Gossin, Hasi Gossi, Hossin Josin, ultimately getting to Hobson Jobson. So it's this funny kind of uh, almost like the telephone game of misinterpreting. What <laughs> they were discombobulated. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so why does it change from the urate to ulate? Well, there's another funny sounding word that's coming on the scene at the same time, and that's absquatulate. Are you familiar with absquatulation or absquatulate? I think I saw like a History Channel show about the search for absquatulate. Uh, <laughs> these morons with video cameras stalking the woods trying to s- see if this thing really lives. Absquatulate is certainly a monstrous word. Uh, and just as bob is sort of the silly syllable in discombobulate or discombobulate, you have squat as this funny sounding syllable in the middle of absquatulate. That ulate ending, again, sounds like it's a Latin word. You can think of tabulate or perambulate or other words that end that way. And so because people are now talking about absquatulating, which that was often taken to mean to abscond with, to leave taking away something was to absquatulate. It was just a very funny way of saying that. Absquatulate becomes popular. And so because of that, this other word gets kind of influenced by that and becomes discombobulate as the other silly sounding, almost Latin word that you can use to create this pseudo Latin sound. So what I want to know is if it became a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, if its origins were whimsical and kind of ridiculing attempts to sound more sophisticated than you are. Do people start using discombobulate without any sense whatsoever that that it was an exercise in self-parody? Well, you know, when you hear discombobulate now, it can be hard to figure out exactly where it comes from. You guys had your own guesses for it, but it sounds like it should come from something. It sounds like, you know, if we hear an unusual word like that, we want to take it apart and try to figure out where it comes from and take it seriously. So if you took discombobulate seriously, you might think, okay, wait a minute. That must be dis plus combobulate. So if you can do that, if you can discombobulate, you should be able to recombobulate once you've been discombobulated. And in fact, the Milwaukee uh, airport, if you go through the uh, security area there and you've taken off your shoes and your belt and everything else, there's the area where you go and put everything back together and they have actually labeled it 
cleverly, the recombobulation area. Um, <laughs> I would call it reshevelment zone, but I, I take the point. <laughs> All right. I don't think we could top that joke. So let's just end it there. Ben, thanks so much. This was really fun. It was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to uh, try to stump you guys another time. Ben Zimmer is executive producer of Vocabulary.com, where he will include more information about the word discombobulate, and he's a language columnist at The Wall Street Journal. All right, Mike, he's out of the room. Now I have to take something up with you. I am just so disappointed that I did not get a bigger reaction and just total props from you for the coinage discombobulate. I mean, come on, man. Wait, wait, what does ululate mean again? It's exactly what he was talking about, the wailing sound, the kind of quavering wailing sound that you hear in Arabic prayer and and I think particularly mourning. But come on. No, no, you're right. I'm sorry. I missed it. My bad. My ignorance. That was good. That was really good. All right. All right, then. Discombobulate. That's good. That's good. You know, actually, that reminds me of a word that I... I guess more or less coined at one point, which is anthropomorphic supersize, which uh, <laughs> which means that wait, wait 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 let me guess anthropomorphic <laughs> wait anthropomorphic supersize this is um, are these those people who dress up in uh, in animal costumes in uh, Times Square cadging for tips I sort of coined it I think to just suggest that there was just too many talking animals in in the movie. <laughs> One or two in like an animated movie, but like the whole movie, it's like all fish and all, you know, penguins. It's just anthropomorphic supersized. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right. So uh, let us know what you think of our inaugural segment of our series with Ben Zimmer. You can email us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Please follow us on Twitter. It's at lexiconvalley and subscribe to us in iTunes where you can leave a rating and a review. Uh, I want to thank Ben Zimmer and Andy Bowers, the executive producer of Slate's podcast. And if anyone wants to build a a banterometer to let us know uh, whether we have the right balance, why, go right ahead. Hey, Mike, are we done here? Yeah, we're done. Later, Gator. Uh, Hold on a second. Henry? Come here. Where's the piece of paper? What did you do with it? Henry. Oh. It seems like he chewed up and ate the piece of paper, but the word I wrote on it was discombobulate.